Thank you, brother. Thanks for leading us. Thank you for those that serve with him and leading us in worship. And I just want to echo what he and so many others have said, that we are so grateful that you are here and that you chose to be here to celebrate Easter today with us. We do not take it lightly and we do not take it for granted that I know there are other places that you could be. There's other things that you could be doing. And so I'm so grateful that you are here this morning. I hope that when you came in um, that you have a Bible with you or have something that you can turn on with your phone or open up, if you will. And I hope that you will find your way to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And also when you came in, you might, got, you might have received a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes to help guide our time through the word this morning. And the notes will be behind me, should be behind me on the screen, but we're going to be in John chapter 20 this morning. I want to read for you, starting in verse 1, and we're going to read the first nine verses of John chapter 20, and then we're just going to walk together as a body, as a group of believers, as a congregation. We're going to walk through these nine verses. So this is how John records it in his account of the gospel. He says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And, and stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and, and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb at first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. Many, for many of you, this is not your first Easter Sunday. And as you come every single Easter, it seems like it's customary, whether it's Easter or whether it's Christmas, the, the customary thing is you're gonna talk about the resurrection on Easter and you're gonna talk about the birth of Christ on Christmas. And every time, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you come and it seems, or it can seem like it's always the same thing. The same thing, the same thing. Every Easter, the preacher says the same thing and next Easter, he's gonna say the same thing. And for some people that are the, the CEOs in the church today, the Christmas and Easter only people, every time, you come in, it just seems like the preacher always says the same thing over and over and over. And as you come this morning, you're probably going to say it's the same thing. And I want to confide in you and I want to confess to you, it is going to continue to be the same thing as long as he is still alive. And as long as the tomb is empty, we have something to proclaim and we have something to be excited about and we have something to 
say. But as you come to the text this morning, and as Mary comes to the tomb, if you heard what I read or read when you're following along with me, as Mary comes to the tomb, if we think about the scene, if we think about the context, she's coming expecting to see the stone in front of the tomb. She's coming expecting to see the soldiers there on guard. She's coming expecting to see the tomb sealed, expecting there to be a body in the tomb. She comes and the text says that the stone was rolled away. In a matter of excitement, she runs to the disciples and says, the stone is rolled away. The stone is rolled away. The two disciples, they get up and they run. They sprint to the tomb only to look in and to see what they expected to see, what they expected to find was not there. You see, Mary Magdalene and Peter and John expected there to be the physical dead body of Jesus in the tomb. And so when they look in there and they see that it is not there, it tells us there in the text in John chapter 20 and in verse nine, it says, for yet as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And from this point, history has been forever changed because it demands an answer to the question. And the question is at the top of your notes if you have it on your bulletin. And the question is this, is it true? Is it true that a man walked on this earth, lived a sinless life, was put to the point that he was stretched out on the cross, gave of his life willingly, was taken down from the cross, was put into the tomb where it tells us in scripture that the tomb was sealed and guards were placed at the entrance. And then three days later, this man, both fully man and fully God, then comes back to life and comes out of the tomb and is right now at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says, making intercession for those who are his. Is it true? There's a lot of things that we ask in our world today, is it true? I don't know about you, but I get weary in looking at all the news the liberal news, the conservative news, the fundamental news, all the news and you're looking at it and you're trying to filter it out to try to understand, is this true and is this not true? Is this real and is it not real? And you will hear people and oh my goodness with all of the vaccines and the, and the shots and all the politics and all the upheaval going on in government and the world politics and everything else and everybody has an opinion, everybody has an idea, everybody has a perspective but you're trying to figure out which is true and which is not true. And then you come into the church and depending on what kind of church you come into, depending on what they're going to say and how they're going to put it and all the different nuances and, and all the different peculiarities and distinctions between the churches. And you come in and you start to ask yourself, was well, that true? Is that church true? Is that church true? Is that church true? And I'm going to tell you, friend, brother and sister in Christ, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter your political affiliation. It doesn't matter whether you're a Sooner or a cowboy. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. The question for all of us this morning is, is it true? Is Jesus alive? Now, my personality, I like black and white questions. I'm a very black and white person. Jaylene loves the gray. She likes the maybe. I don't know. It could be the possibility. But the reality is, is when you come to a question like this, there is only two possible answers. There's such a thing as black and white. You're pregnant or you're not pregnant. 
You're married or you're not married. You're either a male or you're a female. And you're either saved or you're lost. There is not a lot of gray area in some of these things when it comes to the word of God. And so the question is, the question that Mary is wrestling with here in this text, the question that Peter and John are wrestling with here in this text is, is it true? Is the tomb empty? Is Jesus alive? And I submit to you this morning that there are only two possible answers. There's only two possible answers that you could have to this question. Yes, or no. We're going to start with the negative and go to the positive. They tell me in speech class that's the preferred way to, uh, to speak to people. So we're going to start with the no. And you may say, well, what are we going to talk about this morning? We're going to talk about a bit of a, what, what do people try to say? And I'm going to just assume, because it would be really naive of me to assume that every single one of us in this room has a personal, right relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, it would be arrogant of me to assume that every single one of you in this room are saved. I can't know your heart. God knows your heart. And if you are here and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you're lost and you never made the decision and you're still wrangling with that, I'm glad that you're here. Or if you're here this morning and you have questions and you have doubts, I would love to, after this service, and if not me, get you with someone else and let's walk through Scripture and what Scripture says. Or if you're here this morning and you say, I know that I'm saved, then we need to be the people that are going out in the byways and the hedges and the roadways telling other people that Jesus is alive. And so if you're here this morning and you're saying, well, Spence, of course I believe it's true. I am here. If I didn't believe it, why would I be here? Because people do a lot of strange things in this world. Like root for the Sooners, right, Charles? So let's ask the question. Is it true? The society around us, the culture around us would like to say no. They would like to have all these explanations about why it is not true. And it may go something like this. You may hear somebody say, well, it can't be true because the Bible is not true. People will come from the argument and they will come from the position and they will say, well, you know, the Bible is just a fictitious story. The Bible is a compilation of legends. The Bible has errors in it. The Bible has contradictions in it. And they say that it's just a good story about someone that lived a long time ago. And so they will come in and they will point to what they've considered to be faults or failures or shortcomings when it comes to the Bible. And so they will say, well, the Bible isn't true. So even though the Bible says Jesus rose from the grave, even though the Bible says that Jesus is alive at this very moment at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, they would say, because the Bible is not true, then this story is not true. And I think we should ask him, then how do we know right and wrong? Where do we get our morality from? What are our governmental, civic, cultural laws based upon? If this word is not true, then what is true? Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings? The Twilight series, what is true? They will say, oh, the Bible is not true. You will have higher criticism, you will have deconstructions. They will come in and they will try to pick apart the Bible. Marcy was a, was a church leader years and years ago and he came to the word of God and he said, you know what? I don't like this section and I don't like this section and I don't like this section. So he pretty much took an X-Acto knife and he cut up portions of scripture, took those portions out, took the portions that were left, put them in the Bible and said, this is my Bible. The problem is, it is not the true word 
of God. And brothers and sisters, may I tell you this morning that darkness and sin and this world that is controlled by Satan will always be looking for ways and opportunities to discredit the authoritative word of God. So the disciples and Mary Magdalene, they're sitting there and they're looking at this empty tomb and they're asking the question, is it true? Well, they may say, oh, it can't be true because the Bible is not true. Or they may say something like this. They may say, well, it can't be true because Jesus didn't really die. The most popular theory out there today is called the swoon theory. And the swoon theory posits that what took place was that Jesus was arrested, Jesus was mercilessly beaten, that he was stretched out on the cross, and that through all of the exposure and through all of the fatigue, he passed out. And then as the soldiers came up and they put the spear in his side, he had the self-control and the discipline to pay possum and not to come back awake and not to say, ouch. And through in his state of being uh, knocked out, passed out, blacked out, asleep, playing possum, whatever, then he was taken down from the tomb. He was wrapped tightly in the linen cloth. The face was, was, was wrapped up in preparing for bed and preparation for burial like the dead were prepared. He was put into the tomb. Scripture says that this tomb was sealed guards were outside and somewhere after the course of about 36 hours he woke up somehow in a Houdini fashion got himself out of the claws got the stone away overcame the guards and he lived the rest of his life in some monastery in northern Europe I don't have that kind of faith I, taught, I don't have that kind of faith to believe all of that but they will say, well, Jesus didn't die. So what do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our sin? See, part of the reason why Jesus came to live and die for us is because we could not deal with our sin ourselves. And because God knew that we were guilty of our sin and because God knew there was a penalty for that sin and because God knew that we could not buy our way, work our way, act our way, behave our way, live our way out of our sin problem, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross, to give up his life willingly on that cross, to be an atonement, to be the penalty, to be the propitiation, John talks about, for our sins. And if Jesus did not die on the cross, then we have no atonement for our sins. I gotta stop doing that. I didn't know it was me. Sorry, Austin. But then there's another one you see in your notes. Jesus did not come back to life. So the, op the opponents out there, the naysayers out there, those that do not want to believe that it is true that Jesus is alive, they would just simply say, he did not come back to life. In fact, what the, that's what the Sadducees and the Pharisees told the, the, the soldiers that were there. They were said, hey, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna hey, make up a story and say the disciples of the followers of Jesus, they come and they took the body and they took the body off. And so they overpowered the guards. And so therefore Jesus's body has been in an undisclosed location and he has not come back to life and rather they just took him and hid him. So you're telling me that Jesus never came back to life and yet there are, according to 1 Corinthians, Paul says that over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his resurrection. 
And not just the 500 people that Peter talks about there in, or I'm sorry, that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, but then you have another 11 disciples, 10 of whom history records, gave their life because they were not willing to recount the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they weren't going to deny what they had seen and they had heard and that they had felt and they had experienced. They knew Jesus was alive and they were willing to give their lives for the sake of saying Jesus is alive. You go to the Fox's Book of Martyrs and in there you can read story after story after story of man and woman and boy and girl that was not willing to deny the existence and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and were willing to give their lives because Jesus had given his life for them. So is it true? Is it true that the tomb is empty? Well, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt this morning. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because you're here and you're here on Easter Sunday that your answer would be yes. Well, let me explain to you when and what that means. What that then means is that the Bible is true. Now, which parts of the Bible, you might say, I would tell you from Genesis to the maps, from the very beginning to the very last page, all of the book of the Bible is true. You may say, well, Spence, what about these portions that doesn't seem like they coincide with these portions? I'm going to tell you that just because I don't understand it, go back to John chapter 20, and it says they did not understand the scripture. There was even misunderstanding, even amongst the disciples and the apostles, even in that moment. They didn't have it all figured out, but what they did know is that is true, and I'm going to side with what? is true. I may not know God's word completely or exhaustively, but I can know God's word truly. Been married for 17, 18, 17, 17, 17 years. I haven't got her figured out. And I don't know if I want to. And it's not one of those things that I'm going to have every answer. I'm going to have every little thing understood, but you know what? I can love her truly. And when it comes to God's word, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you that the Bible is true, which means because the Bible is true, it's sufficient and relevant for our daily lives. So when the disciples come and Mary Magdalene is there and see, it tells just later on in verse 11, she is outside. So they are all there and they're looking at it and saying, we do not understand it. We cannot explain it. We do not have it all figured out, but we do know that it is true because the Bible is true. And because the Bible is true, that means that the Bible is sufficient and relevant for our daily lives. So instead of you having to go to the medicine cabinet to find hope to cope with your life. Instead of having to go to the therapy room to find answers for the maladies of your soul, instead of trying to have to go to this world to give you answers for your sin and for your guilt and for all the things you carry around, you and I can go to the word of God and says, what does God say? And we have far too many people today that go to the Bible last. You remember Cha-Cha? Anybody remember Cha-Cha? Y'all looking at me like I'm, a rude, I'm like I'm an idiot. 242, 242, right? Somebody help me out. It's 242, 242. I remember years ago, you had this idea. Text message was coming out. Phones were just coming out. It was kind of the things. And there was this rumor going around that you could text any question in the world to cha-cha. 242, 242. Any question you had, you could text it to that number. And within a matter of seconds, there would come an answer back. I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was a gremlin. I don't know if it was an Oompa Loompa. I don't know who was on the other end. But the, word, the story was anything. You could text 242, 242, put your question in, and you would get an answer. We were sitting up there one night. 
We're supposed to be working on the drilling rig and we're sitting up there and we're having this conversation, this debate going back and forth. Oh, it's real. Oh, it's not real. Oh, it's true. Oh, it's not true. And they're like, well, just try it. So at 1.30 in the morning, we pull the phone out and we text to Cha-Cha some silly question. And the question comes back and it was like, oh, see, look, I was right. And I said, just because an anonymous text message came back in your favor doesn't prove anything. And you know, brothers and sisters, you and I can search high and wide and far enough and deep enough on the internet and we can find anything that will agree with what we want to say. And we are in a day and an age that if you do not agree with me or if you do not agree with the stance of the leadership of this church, you can go find a church that does agree with you. We are living in a day and an age that any kind of quirk, any kind of idea, any kind of perspective you have, you can find someone that has that same thing and you can attach yourselves to them. And just because we can go out and we can find people that think the same flawed things that we think does not mean that that is true. It's because God's word is true. There's a lot of other things in this world that are trying to posit as truth. There's a lot of other things in this world to try to say, we are true, listen to us. But the reality is when it comes down to the end of it, there is only one thing that you have in your life that is true, inerrant, infallible, and without mistake. And that is the word of God. Why do I know that the tomb is empty? Why do I know that the resurrection happened? Because the Bible is true. So brothers and sisters, friend, if you are here this morning and you're saying, okay, yes, Vince, I believe the Bible is true. So the next time you have a question, where are you going to turn? Cha-cha? The pharmacy? Humanistic, socialistic therapy? You can ask somebody on Facebook, or are you gonna to turn to the word of God? I believe that the tomb is empty because the Bible is true. Not just that, the second thing I want you to see is that Jesus Christ did die. Jesus Christ did die. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that he died. The Bible said that he gave of his life. The Bible says that he gave of his life willingly for you and I. In fact, look back up in John chapter 19 and in verse 30, what does it say? It says, and when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Please hear me this morning. Jesus Christ was not murdered. He was crucified, but he was not murdered. Why is that a distinction, Spence? Because no one took the life of Jesus Christ. He gave it willingly for you and I. Why does that make such a difference, Smith? Because he, even in that moment, could have said, ah, time out. Do you not know this Spence character? Do you not know what kind of guy he is? I'm not doing it for him. He doesn't deserve it. Romans chapter five talks about that he, knowing me, knowing what I was capable of, knowing what I'd be guilty of, knowing my heart, knowing my mind, knowing the things that I would be ashamed of, the things in my past, he would still come and die willingly for me. And because he willingly died for me, John 14, 6, Jesus says the only way to the Father is 
through me. Because he died, he is the only person that has ever died for your sins. And therefore, he is the only way to God the Father. It's not your works. It's not your family. It's not your tradition. It's not how much money you have. It's not a matter of how many accolades you have or how many people you have on social media. It doesn't matter about all the good things you've done. None of that saves you. The only hope that you have and be forgiven of your sins is the death of Jesus Christ. Well, Spence, you know, there's some other churches out there. And some of these other churches say, you know, if I just knock on enough doors, that gets me to heaven. And you know, there's some other churches out there that try to tell me that if I give them enough money, I'll go to heaven. And there's some other churches out there that are just saying, if I just believe and try to be good enough, I will go to heaven. And there's some other churches out there that have a different idea of what it means to be saved. Spence, what do you say about that? There's a biblical world, there's a biblical word. Baloney. If you don't like that word, you can go with the second biblical word, malarkey. Regardless of how you look at it, their teaching, their, their words contradict the word of God. And as Adam has said it before, and he will continue to say it, the question is going to come in our lives whether we will stand underneath the word of God, put ourselves underneath the word of God, or whether we will stand over the word of God and dictate to the word of God what we will do. And the question comes for all of our lives that we come back and we say, is it true? Yes, it is true because the Bible is true. Yes, it is true because Christ did die. And yes, it is true because Christ did come back to life. Oh, the disciples didn't pull a deceitfulness. If you think back to what the account, the gospel account is, once Jesus was arrested, it said the, gospel, the, the disciples scattered. They ran away. Peter and John were sitting in the courtyard and even when they asked Peter, Peter, do you know the guy? They're like, no, I don't know the guy. All the rest of the disciples have fled. All the rest of the disciples are scared. You look later on in John chapter 20 and they're all gathered in behind locked doors, fearful, sucking on their thumbs, wondering who's gonna be next. But Jesus came back to life. We have other accounts in scripture about other people being raised from the dead. You have the widow's you have the, the widow there in the Old Testament, and she has the son, and Elisha brings her back to, death, back to life. You have other people during Jesus' ministry that were brought back to life. Peter raises people back to life. Paul raises people back to life. It's not completely unheard of of people during the time, the biblical times coming back to life. But every time it happened, there was always a human agent involved being used by God as a human agent, a vessel, a tool, if you will be, to raise somebody back to life. But in this case, it wasn't anybody that went to the tomb that laid hands on the tomb. It wasn't anybody that come and prayed over the tomb. It wasn't anybody come and prophesied and said, I'm gonna rap on this stone three times and poof, Jesus will come back alive. There wasn't anybody that had a, a special tonic or a potion, or, and Janice isn't gonna like this, but even an essential oil, that none of that was going to work. Jesus came back to life because Jesus has power over death. Now may I be honest with you this morning and tell you that I don't understand that. I don't get it. I do not understand and grasp the idea that somebody the Bible says is both fully man and fully God, which is something that blows my mind right there, but then that this person would willingly die and then this person would be dead. I'm not talking about half dead. I'm not talking about like a Monty Python, um, almost dead or three-fourths dead. I mean, this person is dead, 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 dead. And this person is the tomb 
for three days and all of a sudden on the third day, this person opens his eyes and he is alive. And he didn't need the angel to roll the stone away. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't need the angel to roll the stone away so he could walk out. He went right through the tomb. Why did the angel roll the stone away? So that we could see in. And I don't understand it. I don't understand this Jesus that all of a sudden opened his eyes. He took off the linen cloths. It tells us there in the text. He took them off. He pulled them up. He set them in place. And he left the tomb defeating death. I do not understand it. But I do know that Jesus came back to life. Why? Because Jesus has saved me. And the only way that he could save me is by coming back to life. The only hope that I have of salvation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me read for you for a brief moment out of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks about this resurrection from the dead. And in, first, in chapter 15 and verse 14, this is what Paul writes. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's saying, listen, either this thing happened or it didn't happen. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins that those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. Peter says, if this didn't happen, you're a miserable lot. Jesus said that he would die. Jesus said that he would rise from the grave. And if he did not come back to life, then Jesus is a liar and therefore he is not the son of God. I can look at you this morning with all confidence and belief in my heart and to be an emphatic yes, that it is true. It is true what the Bible says. It is, it is true that Christ did die and it is true that Christ did come back to life. And my hope, my hope in this world is then not based upon my goodness, of my good beings, of my cheerful personality, of my tremendously handsome looks and physique. It's not based upon my money. It's not based upon my possessions. It's not based upon my education. It's not based upon you. It's not based upon my service here at this church. It's not based upon my last name or my demographic. My assurance in this life and my hope of salvation is based upon a risen Savior. Brothers and sisters, it's true, but is it true about you? Let me give you some good news and then we're going to come to a close. The good news about this story and the good news about the truth of an empty tomb is simple. Because he came, you can live. Because Jesus sent by God, because God loves us so much, Jesus came, lived a sinless life on this earth. Jesus died the death that you deserve to die. Jesus defeated death by his resurrection. Jesus came so that you can live, so that you can live and have the opportunity to turn to him. Some of you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that he came, that he lived a life, that he died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose from 
the grave. And if, if you come to the point that you realize that I am guilty of my sins, I need to be forgiven of my sins, you cry out in repentance and confession, you can be saved. The good news is, is you do that, you go to heaven. And as in Jaron Jackson says, you don't do it, you go to hell. Don't be a moron and go to hell. But that's the simple gospel message. And some of you have heard it before and some of you heard it before and go, you know what? I'm gonna get back to you on that. Some of you have heard it more and heard it before and said, you know, I'm gonna think on that. Some of you have heard it before and said, you know what, I'm just not ready yet. Some of you have heard it before and say, you know what, I've still got some things to do on my side before I make a decision. And some of you all keep putting it off. May I tell you this morning that because Jesus came, you can live with the opportunity to respond to him. But I don't know how many opportunities you're going to have. And neither do you. But because he came, you can live to respond to him. Because he died, you can live. Can you imagine walking around in this world knowing that we are guilty of sin, knowing that all sin is punishable by eternal hell? Knowing that you and I will live this life and we'll do the best that we can, and even though after the, we've done the best that we can, it will not be good enough. We will judge before God and that will be it. Can you imagine how miserable of a life that would be? Walking around knowing I'm just waiting for the end. We have a lot of people today that are walking around this world that have no hope. They have no sunshine in their life. They're walking around thinking this is the best it's gonna be because they haven't come in contact. They haven't been introduced to Jesus. They do not understand that because Jesus died, we can live. We can live with a smile on our face. We can live with a hope in our heart. We can live with some excitement around us. We can live and not be concerned about trying the rat race of this world, not trying to please the wrong people. You and I can live for something other than ourselves because Jesus died. Because Jesus arose, you can live. What do you mean, Spence, because he arose that we can live? I would tell you this morning that because he arose, then you can live knowing the worst thing that this world can do to you is send you to heaven faster. This world can do nothing to your soul. This world can do nothing to your eternity. This world can do nothing to your salvation. This world has no control on you. So you and I can wake up every single day and know because he came, because he died, and because he arose, we now have the freedom to live however he calls us to live, however radical that might be, however different that might be, however unorthodox that might be, however different that may be, be from the world's expectations and the box they put on us. You and I can wake up every morning and knowing that I can live for Jesus because what Jesus has done for me. Now the challenge for us this morning, church, is to live like it's true. Because I want to just be honest with you this morning, a lot of you will come in here and you'll like, oh yeah, 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 amen, amen, go get it, go get it, go get it. And then you walk out these doors and you change. You walk out these doors and then you talk like the world, you act like the world, you behave like the world, you do the things like the world. And the world around you is going, well, if that is what a Christian is, and I'm good. And we leave out of this place saying it is true, and then we walk out in the world and say, nah, I don't know. So the challenge this morning 
is to not just say or believe that it's true in here, but to say and believe it is true out there. So what's your answer? Is it true? Will you bow your heads with me?